Hi, everyone. Welcome to the third episode of Hanging Question Marks, a podcast on which I have interesting conversations with interesting people. I'm your host, Zoki, and this week's guest is Courtney Ritzema. Courtney is uh, my next-door neighbor, uh, but she is, of course, many, many other things. She is uh, an activist. She is very involved um, in the local uh, Chicago uh, public school. She is on the local school council. Um, She's a mother of three. Uh, She is a clinical psychologist. And she is, of course, many, many other things and an extremely thoughtful uh, person with many insightful things to say, as you will find out if you listen to the rest of this episode. So this conversation was recorded on August 8th, 2020, and I'm just going to give you a brief overview. Um, For about the first 50 minutes to an hour, we talk about, um, first we begin by talking about how we met, and then we quickly get into Courtney's work as a, um, a clinical psychologist at a, a an immigrant detention center in Chicago for unaccompanied minors, uh, as they are often referred to. Um, so that's the first 50 minutes to an hour of our conversation. And it's extremely, her story of working there and the issues that come up and the different things we talk about in that first hour are very, uh, I think you will find it very enlightening and worthwhile uh, or worth your time. Um, Then the last half hour or so of the episode, a half hour to 40 minutes, is uh, a conversation where we talk about Chicago public schools and being a uh, 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 parent, as we both are, during these times, and uh, Chicago Public Schools plan to reopen in the fall uh, virtually. And then the last 10 minutes or so of the episode is kind of me mostly going off on a political rant. Uh, Courtney was very gracious, uh, but, um, you know, the last 10 10 minutes, if you want to skip to that and are are interested in listening in that, I'm going to give you a heads up. That's basically what it is. So the conversation in total is about an hour and a half long. So just a quick programming note before um, we get to the conversation. Uh, I got some feedback this week from a friend of mine who's been listening to the uh, podcast, and um, it was very thoughtful and helpful and echoed some of the same things that I'd been thinking about. So I'm going to be experimenting. Um, This is only the third episode, but I'm going to be experimenting with um, not so much different formats, but just different ways of moving the conversation, different ways of focusing the conversation, uh, asking questions so that they're not 
you know, five minutes long. Um, th- you know, things that I, I think I'm, I haven't done so well and would like to do a little bit differently. I'm also going to work to keep the episodes to an hour to an hour and a half. So my idea is um, do the episode record a conversation that's going to be anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half long. And then if my guest and I keep on talking after that, um, I might release that extra bit of conversation beyond that that time frame as a midweek sort of like a bonus episode for people who are interested. Or I may not. It'll just depend on what the uh, the extra bit of conversation is about and whether I think it's, you know, something that would be fun for people to hear so uh thank you as always for listening and without further ado here is my conversation with courtney all right uh hello uh courtney welcome to the uh podcast and thanks for agreeing to be on thank you i'm excited to be on yeah so uh (laughs) It's always weird, but whenever I'm doing these introductions at the beginning now, there's a long pause where the person on the other side is sort of just waiting, like, am I supposed to do something? Yeah. Um, <laughs> am I supposed to speak now? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to talk ever? Um, <laughs> I will try to talk less during during this one, but okay. Um, so I wanted to tell people just how we met. Uh, so if you could get into that, I don't know if you remember, I assume you remember it's a fun story i think remind me if this is correct but i think that we met when i was canvassing your house for bernie sanders i came knocking on your door with my daughter maya yes correct and i was wearing a bernie sanders sweatshirt yes I loved it. <laughs> yeah. So we talked some Bernie and um, and a little bit about the campaign and what you were doing. Yeah. And uh, and I should mention we are also next door neighbors. We are, and I was really excited because I noticed right away that you guys had a Bernie Sanders sign in your front yard. Oh yeah, so that's right. I was really excited when you showed up on my canvas sheet. I was like, so wait. So how long have we been neighbors? I, I don't remember when you moved next door. So I, we moved here about a year ago. So a year in May. So by the time I had talked to you about Bernie Sanders and canvassed your house, we were almost there for a year. Okay. <laughs> and were you living somewhere else in Chicago before that? We, um, we lived close. We lived in Edgewater for 10 years. And then, um, and then moved to Rogers Park. Cool. It was a weird. That's a long time. It was a long time. Um, we had a really weird landlord situation. Okay. Um, and all of a sudden, she didn't want to renew our lease, so we had to find a new place to live. Yeah. So, so okay. So that's by way of introduction, because ever since you came by and canvassed, I've wanted to have a longer conversation with you. But then the pandemic happened yeah. relatively shortly thereafter. I feel like a, it was like a week after or so. Basically. And then pretty much since then, we've just seen each other in the backyard staying 
more than six feet apart. Yeah. Um, our backyards are next to each other as well. So, but it's always good to see you and the family out there. Um, <laughs> and you even see- though, even though the dogs terrify oh. my daughter. <laughs> I know. I feel so bad. It's not. No, it's not your fault at all. She used to be completely comfortable. Well, I, I don't want to say that. She's her fear of dogs kind of waxes and wanes. It's a strange. Although thing. my dogs are jerks, so that doesn't help the situation. I think she's more afraid of the little one. Which is, I don't. Like, know I don't why. think. She, I think the bigger one is Maui. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. She seems less great. concerned about Maui. Okay, before I <laughs> bore everyone with talking about dogs, well, actually, probably people would prefer if I talked about that. Um, okay, so given that we met because you were canvassing for Bernie, I figured that would be a good jumping-off point to the conversation. Yeah. Um, before we get into some more current things, because I think the Bernie stuff now, I don't, you know, maybe we don't need to rehash as much of it. I'm more interested in your involvement in it. So could you tell me a little bit about how you got involved as a canvasser? And um, I guess just begin there and sort of what your involvement was in the campaign. Yeah. So I mean, I won't rehash all of 2016, but that's when I... (laughs) That's when I first got involved with the Bernie Sanders campaign. Before that, I had never had much interest in politics at all. And then I remember seeing one of the debates and I was like, whoa, who is this dude? <laughs> and um, <laughs> and after that, I was hooked. I I started volunteering for him. And so if you can picture this in 2016, I'm a a mom with three kids under the age of two and um, just making the volunteering work. I started doing the calls like the, I can't think of the name. Why can't, anyways, I started calling, doing like Bernie dialer calls. I started doing the texting for the texting team. I mean, you were doing just like, you know, uh, the phone canvassing okay. as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I they started with phone that. Phone banking, yep. And then um, just, like, as I wet my appetite being involved in the campaign, I got more and more involved. I went out canvassing with the twins front and back on me and carriers um, door to door. I hosted a barnstorm um, at the, at the Rogers park library actually. um, And did my whole speech with the twins attached to me and carriers. Um, So I just kind of like took on this persona as like the, the activist mom who wanted to be involved and um, I mean, 2016 was a disappointment. It was like my first involvement, but as soon as like, I actually stayed involved in different progressive causes and texting teams from 2016 on through my work with Bernie. And um, I volunteered a lot for the Daniel Biss campaign here in Chicago when he was running for governor of Illinois. So I just took my activism and found different ways to to get involved locally and then um through like national campaigns as well. So 
let me, so um, just to back up a step, you said you weren't really, like you wouldn't consider yourself an activist before the 2016 Sanders campaign. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. I, I wasn't involved in, at all. So would you mind sharing, like, you don't have to give me the exact numbers or whatever, but how, what, in 2016, how old were you then um, when you first got involved? Just to give people a sense of like, you know, what. Yeah. So I was like 30, 32 at the time. Okay. Um, so, okay. So just back up a step. So before that, you weren't involved in, in things that you have just a, but you, you probably, I'm guessing, since the Bernie Sanders thing appealed to you, did you have at least a sense of what your own, uh, you know, uh, politics were in terms of like following politics or being interested in it and having a sense of what your own ideas were about which, you know, policies were yeah interesting and that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, that started as young as like high school you know, like 16 year old me, I, I kind of, I come from a very small, um, very white, very wealthy, small town in um, Southeast Michigan, uh, called Celine. It's just south, southwest of Ann Arbor. And um, so I kind of discovered early on that my political beliefs were very, very, <laughs> different, very left, very radical from anyone else that I was friends with or went to school with. And um, yeah, so that started at a young age for me. Um, but then I like, I was kind of just disinterested in like electoral politics, basically, because I, there wasn't any excitement for me about any of the candidates because no one really was speaking my language. No one, no one was pressing for policies that I believed in. No one was far enough left. No one was progressive enough. Um, so I'm not going to, I'm just going to go ahead and offend probably everyone who's going, all the five people who are going to listen to this um, right. by asking a question in a, a loaded way. So you weren't fooled by Barack Obama's 2008 campaign. <laughs> I love that you say that. I, you know, I was excited, but I wasn't like, I, I didn't get involved in the way that a lot of other people got involved. I mean, we were here in Chicago um, during the campaign and when Barack Obama won. And um, I can remember the night he won. I worked at an immigrant uh, youth shelter. And I remember the kids being really, really invested in the election and being really, really excited about Obama winning. And now looking back, I, it's just, it makes me so sad. Because I, I mean, I think, I think that's I true mean, for, for a lot of people on the, on the left. I think that's true, probably. I mean, Obama was called, I think he still is called by some like deporter in chief, right? And yeah, that's, I mean, it's a complicated issue. We don't need to. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. I mean, I'm happy to talk about it if you are, but now I'm interested in this other thing. So you were doing, so you weren't an activist, but this is kind of helpful because it sounds like uh, at one point, you know, before um, 
you know, before you had kind of a full responsibility um, as a mom, it sounds like you were doing work that to me, I, I see it as that as being like, it's not an activist, but it's social, social justice work. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it falls under that broad category, right? Yeah. So before, before I was a mom, <laughs> once I became a mom that kind of took over my whole world for years um, and still in some ways does. But yeah, before that, I, um, my background is in clinical psychology. Um, so I worked as a therapist. Um, and so my first job here in Chicago was as a therapist in the, in some of the youth so they call them shelters. They're youth detention centers for immigrants. And there's been some controversy about that more recently, yeah. hasn't there? Okay. There's, well, maybe we'll get to that at some point. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to cut you off there. So, um, okay. So you worked at these uh, facilities. Yeah. Did you talk about that a little bit? What was that like? And like, how long did you do that? When did you start? Um, yeah. So it was my first job out of grad school. And I worked there. So this is where it gets complicated because um, there is some controversy even surrounding my employment there. Um, <laughs> like there, there have been many New York Times articles written about my work at this particular place. Well, not New York Times articles, but there actually are. I've um, filmed a few like basically confessionals being um yeah like talking that is about fascinating talking about my experience working are those, for are those on youtube or, or anywhere yeah um they maybe, maybe sorry I, I know i keep it i'm interrupting <laughs> you but if you want after we do the podcast you can shoot me a link if you want to share yeah, yeah, I can share that. And that'll be an easier way to kind of tackle this. But sure, basically, sure. I just thought, yeah. yeah, basically, my experience was going in as this young, naive, like, bright eyed, right out of grad school, um, thinking that I'm going to change the world one kid at a time. And I'm going to go into these detention centers, and I'm going to make a big difference for these kids who have dealt with multiple traumas upon traumas and basically what i found is that they are detention centers and anyone who tries to make them a more holistic like child-centered approach and um do anything like therapeutic with the kids is right away an enemy <laughs> um yeah so so would it be fair to say your job was kind of more of a triage kind of a role like oh my, we're kind of we're, tr we're trying to keep things from getting too bad or you know exactly or something like that. my job there was like what they wanted me to be was a glorified babysitter and they wanted to be able to say to the public look at all these wonderful services we're offering for these kids mm. but they just wanted me to make sure i was keeping the kids under control um okay. so that clashed with my beliefs and I eventually ended up getting fired. <laughs> that, so that is fascinating. And I could go into, I worked for the federal government at one point. I didn't get fired, but I did quit. Uh, I'm not going to talk right. about that on this podcast, at least not now. <laughs> um, but so, okay. So 
let, let me pause you there. How long did, you, how long were you there? So I lasted um, just short of a year. Okay. And so was this a situation when you were kind of actively speaking out and trying to get them to change how they did things and they fired you as a result of that? Um, <laughs> I didn't get fired for necessarily speaking out. And I actually didn't start speaking out about what was really going on there and what I experienced and saw until just this past summer. Wow. Okay. Um, because I was, I was pretty scared about retribution. Um, they kind of went after me hardcore and I was nervous about losing like licensure and, and getting hired at other places in Chicago because uh, who I was working for, I don't know if you want me to say the name, but. If I'm comfortable with you saying whatever you're comfortable saying, okay. I don't. So I, I was working for Heartland Alliance and they're kind of a nonprofit giant beloved by the city of Chicago. And um, yeah, I was, I was worried about my future as a clinician here in Chicago. So I'm sorry, you worked for them after you left? No, or I worked, that was who I worked for and who I got fired by. Okay, so can you explain how that works? I mean, these detention centers, who operates them? So it's the federal government who operates them and then they subcontract certain services like the, the quote, psychological services that you were offering through a nonprofit like Heartland Alliance? Is that how it worked or what was the no, deal? No, so this is, this is different. Heartland Alliance actually, um, like they run the whole program. They, but they get federal contracts and federal money okay. to run I the see. program. Yeah. So the whole program is subcontracted. Yes. It's, it's private entities private in the sense of non, non, uh, non-governmental. Right. Um, do you know if any of those are places that run those facilities? I would guess some of them are, must be for profit. Is that right? Or is it like all I non-profit? Mean, so they are definitely profiting from these facilities and then using the, the money from these facilities to run their other programs throughout the city. I see, right. Yeah, I just meant like in terms of an organization, oh. like, right, they're classified as a non-profit, right, right under the tax. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. They have different obligations. Like, they don't have, you know, uh, stockholders, right, as an right. example, right? They, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would imagine some of these facilities would probably be run by a private, you know, yeah. uh, private uh, for-profit company, sort of the way that some prisons are. Um, and I know like prison health services in Illinois and Indiana are contracted. In Illinois, it's Wexford Health, okay. whatever the name is. And in, in Indiana, I think it's a company called Corizon or something like that. I, I'm sure. I just don't know. Okay, that, that was just. That's not that interesting. I just. It was. <laughs> it was my own curiosity. Okay. So, okay. So you worked for the Heartland Alliance for a year. Yeah. But you were working at a facility where the reason the kids were there 
was they were being detained 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 by ice yeah detained by ice because they had entered in, they were in the u.s unlawfully right 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 okay and so these kids were sort of like the kids now in terms of like they weren't with their moms and dads i mean if it's just so, the children right so they they call them unaccompanied minors ah uh, yes um but that's it's kind of a misnomer because I would say majority of the kids that I worked with had family and parents and knew where that family and parents were. And many of them had like been forcefully separated. So the term unaccompanied minor, uh, when it's used, I, I think people are envisioning a child is crossing the border without an adult family member. Exactly. And that's just... And then they get caught and then they're classified as a quote unaccompanied minor and then they get put in this facility. But what you're saying is what was going on even back then is if children were crossing the border, even if it's like a mom or, you know, or a dad who's with them or some other adult family member, they would then be separated from them at least in some instances, right? Obviously, because they were in there and classified as unaccompanied minors. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Or they would be like en route to their family and somehow be picked up by border control and um, and be sent to these facilities. Or very typically, they would um, be living here in in the United States, in Illinois, wherever they were, and be living with their family, but get picked up like when they were apart from their family. So like on their way to school or something like that. Or the parents would get get in trouble and be caught by ICE or there would be an ICE raid and the parents would be taken to a detention center and then the kids would be sent to a separate facility. So um so this is one of those instances, I don't know, I talked about this on the last episode where words are used to mean, you know, to describe the word used is not, does not have the definition that if you looked it up in a dictionary, like unaccompanied means alone. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Minor does mean a child, right? That would usually mean someone under 18 or okay. maybe some states under 16 or whatever. Right. But what you're saying is it's not just kids even with adults crossing the border it's kids intercepted in the u.s yeah even with an adult even if they've been here for five years yeah even if or a decade or however long their, right their whole life basically yeah yeah um and then they're classified as unaccompanied but the reason they're really unaccompanied is because at least in some cases the reason they're unaccompanied is because the government has separated them from their family exactly so they're unaccompanied by virtue of being uh, forcibly separated from their adult family members. Yes. At least in some instances. And I should say, I'm guessing you know this because you worked with these kids and right. you had conversations with them and they told you this happened, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I just wanted to be clear, like where, like your information is not abstract. This is firsthand. Right. This is firsthand. Kid, this is yeah. Experiencing. Right. Um, and. Uh, I think what what made me finally decide that 
whatever the repercussions are that I'm going to speak truth to like what I experienced there and what I saw. Um, because I, Heartland has recently been putting out these videos um, as part of their public re relations, because there has been some controversy about during a pandemic, these kids are still being kept in this shelter and the, the virus is spreading in these shelters like it is in the nursing homes. And these kids And are in the jails and in the prisons. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And um, they are making these awful PR videos talking about like really playing up the whole unaccompanied minors, like saying like, imagine where these kids would be if they weren't with us and our workers are heroes. And these kids have, would you rather that they be on the street? Would you rather they're, they're juxtaposing like the, the image of kids in cages that we've all seen that's attributed to Trump, the Trump administration, juxtaposing that with images of their facilities and being like, this is the option. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that brings me in. We can stay on this as long as you, as you're interested in talking about it, but I'm just going to kind of go stream of consciousness here, whatever comes up in my mind. And you know, sure. what this, what this makes me think of is, um, kind of a political problem more broadly. Uh, this sim seems to me emblematic of what I would describe as the um, honestly the Democratic Party mindset by which I mean rather than just saying something like look we know this sucks like, this is awful these kids have been separated in some instances, right? In some instances, they were alone. You know, I'm sure that there were some, there are some instances of that, okay? Yeah. Yeah. But we know that in, let's say, most instances, or at least some, it doesn't make a difference what it specifically it is. They were separated from their families. And we know this is awful, but by doing this, we know it's an awful situation from them for them, but if we weren't here, we think the government would be do, doing something even worse, right? Like you can disagree with that and we can have a debate about that, but that's like not a crazy thing to say, but to kind of make it like, this is amazing. We're saving these children who, who never had anybody, right? Who were abandoned by their families. Um, it's like, at that point, then it's 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 misrepresenting it, and it's like you can say you're doing good work because the alternative is worse. Yeah. Right. Um, but it seems to me that that's the you know the the effect the but there are a lot of offensive things about this, but just on its face, the offensive things thing about it, like doing an ad like that, seems to be if there's if the ad isn't is being dishonest. Yeah. Um, it, totally. I mean, and I think that's they. I I've I've done a lot of thinking about like why I was drawn to that to that job and that position, and um, I think there's like a small part of people in the 
the social service industry that like we want to <laughs> we want to have that like superhero role and we want to save people and um so it's that, like as pathetic that is to admit like that's where my mind was when I when I took the job but I really really believe that they like they play to that they seek out young employees that don't have experience working in other facilities because once once you're in there you don't know that what they're doing isn't the way it's like that it's problematic right so your experience were that you didn't um and again i just want to make sure because when we're talking about this i want to kind of like flesh out where the information is from right it sounds yeah. like you're saying if you're saying this to me that sounds like your experience was there weren't really senior experienced people at the facility who did the kind of work that you did right it was mostly or even maybe even exclusively younger people like straight out of graduate school or maybe a year out or something like that yeah or or like a lot of the positions were people that like had an associate's degree or, or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, just like very inexperienced people who would just like follow the rules and do what they're told and like kind of not understand what was really going on. And maybe, you know, to be fair, but this is also gonna sound horrible because it is, um, part of that could just be a cost-saving measure. Right. <laughs> you get inexperienced people, you just pay them less. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, and yeah, they'll do what you say, but, you know, maybe the people doing the hiring for these positions are not even thinking about, we won't have to deal with someone who's going to raise a fuss. I, my guess would just be they're like, oh, we're going to save X amount of thousand a year per person yeah. because we're not hiring people with experience, which, you know, then kind of, because, you know, the way these government contracts works, I don't know how their contract works. Right. Yeah. But, you know, they have to like, it's usually for this kind of stuff, there's a competitive sort of a bidding right. thing happening. Right. So you, you have to say like, we're going to be able to do all of this for X amount. Exactly. And then that's the amount you have to work with. And so hiring someone with like 30 years of experience, even if you wanted to, is financially not going to work out. Yeah. Those are just some thoughts. I don't know if any of this is how it works. I'm just saying, based on what I know, that sounds like a reasonable you know, explanation as well. But yeah. the, end, the end result is like the kids aren't getting the best care. Right. Or yeah, they have a lot of inexperienced people working with like serious like traumas multiple yeah. traumas and yeah that's just it's a tough learning curve <laughs> yeah so was it was it your experience that a lot of these kids there had that um yeah, yeah. okay um because i was hired i was actually hired on to work they were opening a center that was specialized care so it was specifically for unaccompanied minors who had some kind of um, psychological disorder in addition to what was going on with them. So that's, that's, so everybody in the facility where you 
worked? Did they fit into that category where they needed yeah. extra psychological treatment or some kind of counseling? Yes. Okay. And but I also, I trained in two of their other facilities, which are here in Rogers Park. Um, and one of them was specifically for males who had some kind of criminal background. Mm, okay. And then the other one was um, a mix of males and females who were mostly like younger. So I would say majority under the age of 15. Okay. Interesting. And, and how many kids do you think were at the facility where you worked? Um, I mean, when we, we never got to like full capacity before I was fired, but at one point we had like, probably like 14. Okay. So now, I mean, that's not, doesn't sound like that big, but it's, yeah. yeah okay. Um, and so let's loop back. So what, what were you fired for? If, if you don't mind my asking. Um, so on my official paperwork, I was fired for breach of confidentiality, which if you know anything about counseling or therapy, that's a huge issue. Um, what was I actually fired for? Um, I allowed one of my clients to contact his family members during our therapy sessions as part of our therapy sessions does that mean did you let that client use a cell phone or something like that was that how that i i let him use the computer oh i see okay i I let him use the computer that was in my therapy office um i told my supervisor that i was letting him do it and i let him um talk to his sisters it it was a very uh, this this client of mine, this, this child had an amazing story. Um, he was from Honduras and, um, he traveled all the way to Texas on his own from an orphanage in Honduras, um, looking for his sisters who were adopted from the same orphanage to an American couple. And how he was, old was he when he did this? He was like nine. Wow. Okay. And he he went on this whole journey. Like it's something out of the movies. Um <laughs> so when when you were working with him, he was nine at that point or, or no, like around that he, age, or was it later? When, when I was, was working with him, he was like 13. So had he found his sisters before? I mean, it seems like he must have found his sisters in order to be able to know how to contact them while working with no. you. No. So he had not found his sisters, but I, um, because like this was his big thing, like his whole purpose of coming to the U.S. was to find his sisters. I started working with the lawyer that was assigned to his um, immigration case and started like digging deeper with her and i was like let's figure out what orphanage he was at let's figure out what his sister's names are is there any way that we can get information about who they were adopted to so his lawyer and i worked together we ended up finding his sisters on facebook wow 
through all of this investigation and digging, I told my supervisor about it. I showed him, I was like, we found them and I want to present this to the client and I want to use this in a therapeutic way of like him starting to contact his, his sisters. Um, so my supervisor okayed it and I started doing this. Like we, during our therapy sessions, we would, he would draft like messages to them and reach out to them. And one day I came to work and there was a note posted outside the staff room that said any staff allowing, uh, what did they call residents to, um, to use social media. Allowing our guests to use. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Using social media platforms to contact outside people will be immediately reprimanded. And then it had a, a space signing, sign your name and say that you agree. And I looked at it and I was like, I'm not signing that. And then did that was, were you fired and, shortly thereafter or was there yeah. a reprimand first? Um, no, I was, or I guess a lower level reprimand because <laughs> getting fired falls under the reprimand. Right. So category. I didn't sign that name that day. And I told my supervisor, I'm like, I, you know, I want to talk to you about this. Like, and I, I would like to talk to, we had union representation. So I was like, mm. I also want to talk to the union about this and understand like whether I should sign my name or not. Yeah. Um, and I left that day from work, put in a call to my union rep. And the next morning I was on my way to work and got a call saying, do not come to work. You're on probation. And then you just never got, you never got to go back. I never got to go back. So, okay. So just to, to back up a step to the, the boy you were working with, um, did you contact his sisters at all before he contacted contacted them or did you just figure no. out how to, oh, oh, okay. So he was the one who reached out to them. Right. And then once he reached out to them, did they immediately know who he was because they were yeah. actually old enough to know or? They, they knew who he was. Um, they immediately responded and were so happy that he had found them and you know started sharing parts of their life they were in high school at the time um happy ending to this story he contacted me years later um probably six years later after i was working with him in the shelter and he found me on social media and contacted me and said i visited my sister I have a niece and a nephew now, and um, I see them frequently and I'm doing well. I'm in a nursing program, like just kind of checking in and saying so, like- So he got to stay in the US? Yeah, yeah. So did, so did he have an asylum claim? Was that his basis for getting in? My guess is that I didn't, I, I don't know the specifics of his case because that was another part of- her No, sure, yeah kept That's everything fine. very separate and I was only allowed to know certain things about each kid but okay. um, well that is a happy ending then if you got to stay yeah. and but but it sounds like I mean look I mean maybe he would have found his sisters if he got I mean first of all you don't know how he got to stay right maybe the fact that he was connected to his family is what ultimately 
maybe they ended up advocating on his behalf somehow. Yeah. So sounds like you you got fired for doing your job too well. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I think that that's a proud firing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yes. Um, wow. Okay. See, we just had a whole conversation about something I had no idea uh, of, that you were involved with whatsoever. <laughs> um, because we have not had a conversation in depth like this before. Um, I thought we were going to talk about Bernie Sanders for like an hour, but this is, this is much better than that. Um, wow. Okay. So then you worked at that facility for a year that was right after grad school. Yeah. So what year were, did that end? Oh my gosh. <laughs> what if, year? You, if you don't remember, that's the exact year, but just like how many years ago? Say, just it, that was like so when we first moved to Chicago so that was like 2000 2008 2009 okay. so then did you then go work someplace else doing a similar thing like or not a similar thing but doing your work as a psychologist did you, were you yeah so um after that I worked at the orthogenic school which is I have no idea what that word means <laughs> what is orthogenics i don't it's, know it, it sounds like a scientology term right it does orthogenics <laughs> it's actually um ortho means something with teeth yeah, does it i don't nothing, okay i don't know people are gonna laugh at me they're gonna be like it's nothing to do with teeth you moron no um, and i should know i worked there so i should know what it means but basically it's it's a school and uh, a residential facility associated with the University of Chicago for like kids with uh, mental health issues or behavioral problems. Orthogenic school. I'm looking this up online. I was. Uh, oh, okay. Now I feel really bad. Uh, the definition says. Let's go to the dictionary.com. It might be more <laughs> politically correct. The Merriam-Webster one uh, is uh, using old language. Okay. Uh, orthogenic psychology of concerned with or providing corrective treatment for intellectually disabled or emotionally disturbed children. I was thinking like orthodontist. So <laughs> I, no, I didn't. I, I clearly don't know what the word, what the origin of the, that is that word. I, so anyway, uh, I see. So maybe ortho means disorder of some sort if you were an orth it doesn't matter i'm gonna stop before i completely embarrass myself um okay so you work there next yeah and that's a school in chicago yes and how long did you work there then that was also short-lived for about a year okay was that because you were fired again no i was not fired. <laughs> kidding <laughs> okay so you, you left that one of your own uh volition yeah. Yes, I um, I was making a pittance, and I needed more money. <laughs> I'm guessing that was also a difficult job, I would think. Very difficult, and I was working second shift, which uh, was often like working an overnight shift, so that's just rough. Yeah, and did you have kids by this time? No. The timeline, okay. Nope, I was still kidless. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, if it's 2008. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like twelve-ish years ago. Yeah. Um. Okay. So where did you go from from there? From, from there, I got a job as a 
early intervention specialist and I worked with a home visiting program in Cicero and Berwyn. Um, so basically providing home, home visits to families with very like kids from zero to three and okay. um, providing support for those families. And that job was amazing. I loved that job. Sounds great. Um, and then how long, so how long did you do that? For a couple years. I, I'm it, doesn't, so I, it doesn't have to be exact. I don't remember anything. I, yeah, no. I, 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 my memory is kind of like reset every morning. I, I have no recollection of anything. <laughs> so I did that for a couple years. Then I got married. Then I, I wanted to work on getting my licensure here in Illinois because all my, my grad school was in Michigan. Um, so requirements are different for, I mean, this is, we shouldn't even get into this. This is boring, but basically. Oh no, I know it's different for, I mean, every state has their own. Yeah. Licensure so stuff for everything. Yeah. I wanted to move into a job where I had supervision, the supervisor that I needed to get my licensure. So, um, I started working, um, for One Hope United, a different nonprofit organization, and doing therapy for um, cases that were involved with the Department of Children and Family Services. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Basically, kids, kids and parents that were in the system because of some kind of abuse or neglect. Gotcha. Um, okay, so I mean, it's so it sounds like all the work you did in your field was with children. Yes. Um, you know, so obviously you were very, uh, very passionate about that because it's not for, that's not for everyone. I mean, I, I know people who start that and then they like, okay, so my wife is a social worker and before she went to grad school, um, she did some work at a public school, like an after school program uh -huh. and uh, she just figured out that it wasn't for her it you know it wasn't a good fit but she ended up specializing in um in social work school going the opposite direction and specializing in sort of uh, uh in gerontology so oh, okay. so like working with older adults yeah um so I know just based on conversations she and I have had there, you know, they're just like different fits. Some people like they like children, but it's just not the right fit for them. Yeah. Do the job for you. It sounds like it was a good fit. Like it, it, you were, you know, and I think also it's different, like depending on whether the work is a one-on-one -on -one situation or like being a teacher where you're dealing with 30 or 45 children at the same time, yeah. you know? And it's, it's definitely all about fit because like yeah. hearing that your wife works with like a geriatric population, I could never do that. Like yeah. just hearing that I'm like, Oh, that sounds so difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, she's done different things. And so right now it's not as much like a one-on-one -on -one kind of an interaction. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, uh, she's more of, more of has like a research sort of, um, a job now, but, but, uh, 
but uh but yeah that was a better fit for her yeah. um and it's something she really she really enjoys doing and it's just i mean it's interesting because i get to learn a lot of things about how the aging process works what what issues older adults have that i wouldn't have never known yeah um otherwise so okay well that's okay so we've kind of caught up uh in terms of your job experiences yeah in a way i didn't kind of expect to get to because but it's fascinating i mean i, I have some experience with uh immigration and immigration law well first of all i i am an immigrant um uh so i have personal experience <laughs> although i was not an asylum seeker uh but uh in the technical sense of the word uh the legal sense see uh, i had no idea i came here when i was eight yeah so my family moved from uh the former yugoslavia okay uh which broke had broken up by the time we moved this was in the early 90s wow we had some family in the united states i was eight at the time we moved here my dad was able to get a you know we came on a visitor's visa but my dad was able to get a um a work visa okay because he was able to get a job uh, as an engineer and uh so then that led to them sponsoring him for a green card because uh -huh. that's something you know your employer can do right uh so then we got permanent residence and then eventually you know i got citizenship when i was 18. that's okay. when i became a citizen um so yes i'm not going to get into that anymore i just wanted to and then i also have some work in the past that I've done related to immigration things, but yeah, I just realized that I have no idea what you do for work. <laughs> and we'll talk about that offline. Um, okay. <laughs> not because, not because I don't want to talk about it. It's just, I'm trying to make the podcast as divorced from work as possible um, for reasons that you'll understand once we talk Okay. offline. Uh, not because I'm embarrassed by my work or anything like that. It's just, it's, it's kind of like a, you know, keeping the two things separate. Okay. Um, uh, I'm not embarrassed by my work. I love my job, by the way, just so everybody knows. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> well, I can say this. I am a lawyer. So uh, I'm a class action attorney right now, which means, so okay. I'm on the plaintiff side. So the firm I work for, we bring lawsuits against government entities, corporations, uh -huh. um, et cetera, but as a class action usually, which means, you know, when a, when many people are affected by the same conduct, yeah. uh, so that it's not really practical to bring a thousand separate lawsuits and it's much more efficient to bring it as a single lawsuit. Yeah. There's a mechanism for that in the law called the class action. And so these suits tend to be fairly big because a lot of people are affected and there are extra uh, procedural things you have to do because, right. you know, not everybody's involved in the litigation who's affected by it, et cetera. Yeah. Et cetera. So d don't need to get into that, but just so you know okay. um, that I'm not, I know I was, <laughs> you would have, if I said like, actually I work for uh, um, immigration and border patrol. <laughs> No, I don't. Uh, okay. So anyway, um, okay. So we're, I don't know, we're about an hour into this conversation. This is good. All we right. Went places, we went places I had no idea we would go. I know. Um, 
So where are we going to go now? Well, I'm. There are many places we could go uh, based on my notes. Uh, I don't really have an outline for these things, but I make stories of uh, make little notes about things that I'm interested in. Um, oh, okay. So we've talked about politics a little bit. We didn't get into the Bernie Sanders thing. I'm not going to get into that now anymore because um, we went off something that I think I think that'd be a lot more interesting. Yeah. Um, and I and I think people like that gives me a really good sense of like yeah i can see where someone with your background and your experience would look at the bernie sanders campaign and want to be involved and i think it's a little misleading to say you weren't involved before you weren't involved in politics as an activist outside of work but you were advocating for children at at the workplace you know yeah. where you worked you were treating children um i don't necessarily think um i'm very happy you became an activist and are doing work with that as well but I don't it seems like it's very consistent with what you were doing before um, yeah I mean I guess now we're talking about it yeah <laughs> yeah you know I mean there's like a clear path yeah. I can see a line it's not like you were you know um a chef or something and then all of a yeah. sudden you just started getting involved in in these issues it seems like yeah. there was there were many things that, not that a chef like wouldn't have political opinions etc it just seems like there's a closer link there than you were kind of hinting at at the beginning right um well okay so this is this next part then um is maybe i'm gonna try to keep this next part to like a half an hour and then we can stop and keep chatting but i'll keep the episode to maybe an hour and a half um but okay so the other part i wanted to ask you about is your involvement currently and your knowledge of the chicago public school system um just kind of this is just more of like an interesting thing to me like you have three children um i have i have a daughter uh and there's been a lot going on with covid obviously and this talk about are the schools going to reopen are they not um just recently the chicago public school system announced they are going to reopen obviously but only on um, only on like a virtual, uh, on a virtual basis, right? right? Uh, and before they were talking about kind of a hybrid approach. Yeah. Um, I'm just interested in kind of your thoughts and what your experiences have been as a mom, three kids having to deal through all this and then also being involved and you can explain how you're involved okay. in the school system itself. Um, just you know, I'm going to kind of just leave it to you to introduce that and what your involvement has been. And then if you want to just get a little bit into what your experience so we can just discuss that kind of as, you know, parents who are interested in this stuff. My daughter's not in the school system yet, but it's, it's, this is one of those fascinating pieces of yeah. the current situation for me. So. Yeah. And I think there's a bit of like, the CPS is complicated. It's, yeah, <laughs> say that again. <laughs> so it's it's not like just like your child is all of a sudden, you know, old enough to go to school and there's just a neighborhood school to send your child to. It's just, it's way more complicated than that. So yes, I have um, three children in CPS in the fall um, because I have four-year-old twins who just got got offered a placement at our neighborhood school for preschool. So I'm pretty excited about that because um, 
I guess something that maybe everyone doesn't know about Chicago public schools is preschool isn't like a given. Um, it's kind of a competition for a limited, limited spots in the schools. And so there's like a, there's lottery spots for like different types of prestigious preschool programs. Yeah. And then there um, is an application for your neighborhood. And isn't there also something about, I could be wrong, but I just know based on some family things, not my, per, my, my daughter isn't, isn't old enough for this yet, but um, is there also something like if you're, if your child is four at a certain time, they're kind of quote guaranteed a spot somewhere, not necessarily the place you select, but if they're three, it's like, well, maybe we can fit you in somewhere, but if not, you're kind of out of luck. Is that yeah. like yeah. sort of the, not, not a hundred percent accurate, but generally how it works. Yeah, generally that's how it works. Um, it's very, okay. So a lot of the, the Chicago public school preschool spots are, um, reserved for low income students or students with, um, IEPs. So can you explain um, what an IEP is? Cause some people might not have heard that before. You're so right. And I, I think it stands for individual, individualized. Education. Yeah. Yes. You, individualized you education plan. Yeah. And so it's students who have some kind of, um, special need as far as learning. Um, so it could be, it could be a, a number of different things, but sure. they're like special education services and the IEP is their plan for how the school district is going to get those services for the child. And, and so can you talk a little bit about what your involvement is? You're on a school council board yeah. or can you just explain a little bit about yeah. how that works? Cause so, I wasn't familiar with that until fairly recently. Um, I don't actually, yeah. So if you could just explain that a little bit. Right, so in Chicago, we have something at each school called the local school council. And it is a, an elected board of, of representatives. It includes the principal at each school. And then there are teachers from the school who are elected onto the, the local school council. And they're, they're called LSCs. So if you've heard anyone refer to LSC, they're talking about the local school council. Um, there are parent representatives. And then there are community representatives. So people who live within the boundaries for that neighborhood school can also be elected into the local school council. And then um, at the high schools, there are also student representatives. And, oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the LSCs make decisions about the school budgets. Um, they also, a huge part of their role is to evaluate the principal every year. And then they make, the local school councils make um, recommendations about whether principals should be hired or, or fired, basically. <laughs> um, and there are so many powers that the LSCs have or are told that they're, they have that I'm actually just finding out about myself. Um, I have been part of the local school council at Newfield, our neighborhood school, um, for just, it's been under a year. 
And that's an if that's generally an elected position, is that right? Yes, they're all elected positions. Yeah. Um it's I guess some of the LSC elections are pretty contentious. <laughs> now I'm just thinking of the movie election. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little bit different. It was for class president or whatever it was, but um yeah. okay. Yeah, I can I mean I can imagine. Look, I mean Chicago is uh an interesting town with in terms of politics at every level so i can imagine there being just really crazy things going on with that kind of stuff uh parents who just like don't behave themselves in in these contests uh or community members whatever (laughs) i'm sure and from what i from what i hear at some of the schools they're like people will actually like kind of run mini elections. Yeah. And <laughs> they said they set up a super PAC. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like dark money. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause like, uh, you know, Coca-Cola wants to set up like a vending machine at the school. They, they, uh, you know, a- anyway. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's, that, that's interesting. Um, but so I'm kind of interested then, on top of that, that kind of gives people a context, like you're actually more actively involved in this, in the school system in the city than the yeah. average person, certainly. Right. Um, and more than the average, you know, parent too. So I'm just curious, kind of like, what have your thoughts been? How have you been dealing with the school? This is kind of more of like a personal thing, but linked to your experience on the school council. Uh-huh. Um, just what's this been like for you as a parent of three kids and how do you feel like the Chicago public schools overall have handled things like over the past few months have you had a lot of sort of like I don't know what's going on like what are they going to do and and do you think that the ultimate I don't want to say solution but do you feel like the way they're going now is the right thing to do and then like why or why not Okay, so and also if you could explain what is what is it that they're doing and how did we end up here? Because I feel like you're probably someone who knows all of these things. Yeah. So initially, <laughs> you have this look on your face like this is like a four-hour uh, story. Yeah, but like, yeah. how do I break this down to be really okay? Um, let me start with initially the Chicago Public Schools announced that they were going to go with a hybrid model where students would go to school and they would be in pods of like a class of like 15 students. And anyways, that they felt they could keep students safe by keeping them in pods where they would be at the school two days a week. There would be a day of cleaning at the schools and then they would have remote learning two days a week. And the the opposite pod would be like, remote learning, cleaning day, then school. So the school would never be more than half full. Right. And from my understanding, so let let me, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you here, but I I just wanted to clarify something. The way I understood it, there was also kind of the option to opt to just do the virtual learning. So you didn't necessarily have to go to school at all you had the option of either doing this kind of part-time uh, physical 
presence in the school okay. versus doing a full-time virtual. Is that correct or am I off yeah. on that? So as they presented it, they, um, well, as it was presented, it was like preschool was going to be five days a week. I see. And it was going to be full day preschool. And there was no option for virtual or remote learning for preschool. And then the upper grades until grades 11 and 12, so juniors and seniors, would all have the hybrid. Were and they going to require preschoolers to wear masks all day, do you know? Yeah. And are, were they going to do that with the other kids too? Like people, like the children who are in junior high and high school and all that? Yeah. So they were going to require everyone to wear masks. So they were going to require four-year-olds to wear masks. Right. Okay. Got it. Um, and the four-year-olds were going to be there seven hours a day. So when you're imagining like their preschool option, it was going to be three and four-year-olds. Um five days a week in the school for seven hours a day. Um, and then high school juniors and seniors were going to be remote learning five days a week. So they would have no in-school option. And then the rest of the grades were doing the hybrid pods. And then CPS told the parents that any parents who wanted to opt out of the hybrid plan could do fully remote, but they, they wouldn't answer any questions as to who was going to be teaching these remote classes. Um, and there were rumors going around that they were trying to like contract out these virtual remote teaching. Um, <laughs> and then of course, as you said, if you were in the pre-K, is, is that right? You can't, or I always get confused at what pre-k and k I, I don't know any of these things yes i have a daughter i should learn this but i'm gonna learn it once it's time for her to go yeah. um the four-year-olds right the four or five like they were there there was no virtual learning option as you said so for them there there was not an opt-out right my understanding is there was no virtual option for the three and four-year-olds okay so what were what were your thoughts initially when this was kind of the option that was presented Initially, I, I remember having this discussion with my husband and just being like, this is ridiculous. Like, and just, it, to me, it was unbelievable because like my experience on the LSC and seeing the budget on a monthly basis and being part of mm. like doing budget amendments and, and figuring things out, I know that our school is already struggling and barely has enough money to give the kids what they need. Um, so I'm trying to imagine the extra resources that it's going to take to make this hybrid system possible. And just like, it's unbelievable. Like there's no way CPS does not have the resources, the money to make it work. And just like on a personal note, once you're a parent, you'll see the school supply list in the fall. It is not a school supply list like when we were kids with like a crayon box and some pencils and, and a notebook. 
no, the school supply lists for CPS are like five reams of copy paper, six tubes of Clorox disinfectant wipes, three bottles of disinfectant spray, eight rolls of paper towel. Like we as parents are literally stocking our child's classroom with the necessities to do the cleaning and make the worksheets that they need to make. Yeah, and I, I know from friends and just different conversations I've had with different people, it sounds like in Chicago, you know, okay, schools are all operating from the same tax base, but you have these neighborhoods that are more affluent and the parents are just directly funneling money into the school. Absolutely. Like they'll, you know, um, so in that sense, it may sound like, oh, no, 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 it's actually equal because we're, you know, the school, you're, we're, we're doing the property taxes or how, right? And it's, just, and it's sent to everybody in the city equally based on how many kids and the needs. And no. it's, it's sort of like, well, that's technically, there's a little bit of that, but then you have to realize, but it's not enough. And the more affluent neighborhoods, it's the actual families who like build an addition onto the school or whatever it is. It's not CPS paying for it. No, exactly. And like the funding, the funding for the schools is largely based on the enrollment. Right. Attendance. So they, they take attendance on the, the 10th day and the 20th day. And then the budget for the next year is based on those numbers. It's like almost as bad as our census. Right. (laughs) so schools that are under enrolled get less money right and so the schools that that affects are largely like the schools on the south and the west sides Mm -hmm. yeah crazy okay so but just okay so that's super important the financial aspect of it um it actually just kind of as a side note, it reminds me of um, the primaries when they were still going to hold the primaries in Illinois, right? I forget yeah. when this was, right? And the governor, um, and by the way, this is why I'm not going to vote for him in the next election um, or anybody else who said this, said it was per- 100% safe to go out to vote. Yes. <laughs> Now the next day, right? I mean, as soon as the primaries were over, it was like everybody would get locked inside and, and wear a mask. Exactly. But because they didn't want to delay the primaries, they were like, no, 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 they're going to be, you know, uh, hazmat suits for everyone who goes in. And then it ended up like there were these like crowded lines with no sanitizer, you know, hand sanitizer, people coughing all over each other. Yeah. I mean, you know, so this whole thing is like, you can say anything you want and these politicians and school officials or anybody, they can say anything they want in terms of like, oh, this is how we're going to, this is the plan. Yeah. Um, but then when the rubber meets the road, you look at it and you're like, that's not, you don't even, you know, you don't even have like, you're making kids bring their own, you know, toilet paper or something to school. Like, yeah. What, do you, what on earth are you talking about having, yeah. you know? somebody like do you trust that they're going to be adequately funding the disinf the, you know the the cleaning of the entire school like every two days or whatever it yeah, is Yeah, there's no way there's no way like and the other issue and i'm sure you you see this as a parent anyone who has kids knows this kids yeah. are disgusting like, <laughs> 
they touch everything. Like you take them into a public restroom and you're like, don't touch anything. And all of a sudden they're like licking the toilet seat. <laughs> and you're like, what? Like, right. We have been the healthiest in our family since the pandemic hit, simply because my kids aren't going anywhere and picking up germs from everything. Yeah, I mean, my daughter had a cold from the day she started daycare until basically the pandemic started. So like over a year, we've we've all been (laughs) sick constantly. Not only that, but Uh, I have like teacher friends in CPS who talk about like what happens on a normal day when a kid comes to your class sick, like with a fever or a kid mm. throws up in class. So they send them to the office and they call the parents and the parents don't come and pick up the kid. And within 15 minutes, you have a vomiting or feverish kid back in the classroom. Like that's just not going to work. Yeah. And I'm guessing it's, you know, that's happening even before this, that was probably a big problem during the flu season um okay so then it switched because of uh, partly because of pressure from the teachers from what i understand it yeah and from uh from you know parents as well obviously but i think the teachers may have made a bigger difference because i from what i was hearing there was going to be another massive strike right they were threatening to strike Um, and so now it's the virtual option yes and you said that even for the pre-K, it's now a virtual option. Yes, everything is virtual. And um, I'm guessing you feel like this is a better outcome. I mean, for me personally, I um, I think through this pandemic, what has been highlighted for me is the just the inequalities that exist in our society. They, I mean, they're just like highlighted during the pandemic, and. Yeah. So I think what we're going to see is that highlighted even more in, in the decision to go fully remote because, you know, families like myself, you know, I'm home with the kids. I'm a stay at home mom. So I will continue to be a stay at home mom. Um, We've already figured out finances to make it work because basically my salary would have covered daycare. So chose to stay home instead. Um, so for us, like, I'm happy with the decision. This is going to work out, but I can't help but think about the majority of CPS students, um, who, whose parents are from working class backgrounds and who are essential workers. And I don't know what they're going to do for childcare or for helping their kids succeed with their virtual learning. I yeah. And then. Sorry, you can no, go. No, you, no, you, I keep talking you go. You were, but the no, other no, that's, it's all good. that I think is coming up, and this was actually brought up at our last LSC meeting by the principal, is that these inequities are being stable. They're being made worse by parents um, who are generally like middle upper class white parents who are now um, pulling their kids out of CPS and forming their own pandemic pods. That's what they're calling them. Mm-hmm. And they're hiring tutors or ex-teachers. They're hiring educators to basically do school for these small groups of children. Yeah. 
and um it, that's that's a huge issue yeah and you know the disparities that have come out um i think many of you know many people were aware of them some people were not um but you know one of the things i was just talking about this today uh it's sort of like that this is a this we're dealing with this in the chicago public schools as a local issue and it is but the fact of the matter is you know it's it's as bad of an issue as it is because of the, the lack of a national response so in other words if we had um something like a temporary universal basic income right exactly. um universal health care if we had same day you know testing available uh for covid right if yep. we had um random you know testing the way that places like germany have yep. where you know just like well let's start to test everyone and then we can kind of track it better and we can determine that we might be in a situation where right now it, it we could have schools in person exactly like if that had been the response in february or march right but instead we're in this situation where now it's like the wild west i mean th there's no you know each town city whatever is dealing with this um basically having to improvise um, and it's much more resource intensive than if we had done these things on a coordinated national level. I mean, CPS would have still had to make the decisions, but they would have been in a world where there weren't these, like, just bad, like, all the options were just horrible. Right, right. I mean, you're absolutely right to, to bring this up as, like, a national issue, because it is. It's our government is not stepping in and giving the supports that people need to make it through this pandemic. You yeah. know, we do need universal health care. We do need a basic income. Like what, we got a $1,200 stimulus to last for four months. <laughs> um, when you look around the world and other places, like we, the citizens here, well, the working class is being asked to sacrifice themselves in the name of the economy. Right. And, and um, you know, this brings up another topic, which is like, what is the economy? Um, you know, I think people just like, we use these stupid words and nobody even thinks about what, you know, the economy is basically how do you create what people need and distribute it? What's your system of doing that? Yeah. And so if your system results in, you know, tens of millions of people being unemployed, um, not being able to afford, afford health care or food or child care or it's, you know, on and on and on, then yeah. I don't care what you call that system. It's not good. I mean, and so the purpose of, you know, the economy is the measure of it. You know, we use the GDP and we use the stock market actually even more than the GDP. Yeah. But there are different ind uh, indices that exist for this. And I forget what they're called. One of them is called the 
Ginny Index, I think, uh, G-I-N-N-Y or something. Yeah, that's right. And it yeah. looks more at things like, you know, do people have what they need? What's what, you know, it's more like doing surveys of the population. Like, are you, do you have enough to eat? Do you have a home? Are you happy? What, you know, um, it's, it's evaluating the society and, and um, the success of the society as measured by how the people feel about it which really like that's the only way to measure it i mean i don't know any other way to measure it like if people all, all hate the society that they're in then it's not very successful um and but instead we are like looking at the stock market which is like okay we have almost we have at least probably at this point 50 million people who have lost their jobs since yeah. this began um and they're still reporting an unemployment rate of like 10 percent or something and it's like no i'm sorry that's yeah. um I understand that's taking into account people who are actively looking for work, but that's very misleading because if most of the people aren't looking because there's nothing to find. Exactly. I mean, so um, if we were looking at unemployment as in terms of people who wanted to work, but don't have a job, unemployment rate right now would be like over 20%. I mean, it yeah. would be maybe 30%. I mean, I don't know what the number would be, but it would be much higher. Um, anyway, that's a side note, but um I went I, I went way beyond the CPS on this one. Sorry. Uh, okay. So back to CPS for a minute. But it needed it needed to go there. And I guess more accurately, we're we're being asked to to sacrifice ourselves in the name of capitalism, I guess, if we're being if we're being specific about it. Yeah, and I mean I don't you know, those words and things like that, like I we, I talked about this on the last podcast, um the use of language and you know I think we need to just retire some of these words. I mean, I think why don't, you know, we uh, like capitalism is fine, but people just mean different things when they say it. Um, when some people say it, like I think the way you're using it, you're just referring to like the economic system we currently have. Right. Now that's not textbook free market capitalism, the way it's written about in a textbook somewhere, but we apply that label to it. Um, another way to talk about it would just be to say like kind of use the more neutral word and say like our economic system is dysfunctional I don't care whether you call it capitalism I don't care whether you call it corporate welfare socialism I don't care what the term is but it doesn't work for most of the people and we need to change it to another system the name of which I don't really care I care what the features of it are yeah. right um but instead the debates end up getting stuck on the language because people are kind of talking past each other. Not, for the most part, people are doing it deliberately. But I think when you're like talking to your neighbor who's super conservative or something, right? Yeah. Often you're talking past each other because of the language. You actually might agree on a lot of the underlying stuff. Like this system isn't really working well, <laughs> right? Yeah. You might have different philosophies of why that is, et cetera. But I mean, you know, but sometimes the language is what tr is what triggers people. Yeah. Like you say, like, capitalism needs to end. It's killing the planet. It's doing this and that. And they're like, so you're saying I can't, like, I can't own a house or a car. Like, you, you know, that's what. Yeah. And I can understand people being very upset if that's what they think you're saying, right? Like. Um, okay, now we've just gotten far afield. So what I would like to do is, I think we can wrap this up. And then if you have time, we can keep chatting a little bit about this more um, 
uh, I don't know, high level stuff, or maybe talk about the political stuff that's going on right now a little bit more in depth, but do it as like a bonus. Okay. Um, if you have time, if not, we don't have to do that. Um, Kids are still doing okay right now, so. Okay, it's up to you. Okay, so uh, so we'll wrap up the episode. Um, thank you so much for being on. I mean, this is fascinating. It sounds like we have like a million other things we could talk about in upcoming episodes if you're interested in coming back. Um, but I'll, I'll give you the last word. I mean, I've been talking a lot because I kind of went off on a rant here at the end. Uh, what are, is there anything you want to share with people in terms of um, just like, thoughts about what's going on or uh, resources that you find helpful or some information that you think people would be interested in checking out that uh, is related to think you know issues that we've discussed oh, goodness and if you can't think of anything just shoot me an email after this and I can put it in um, put put like a link in the show notes or something yeah I'll be more thoughtful about it um oh now all of a sudden I feel like the pressure's on to say something like really articulate and oh no not at all wrap it all up in this nice pretty package yeah (laughs) well let me just I'll I'll try to wrap it up then okay okay this conversation was fascinating um I did not know about your background um super interesting uh this went in directions I didn't expect because I didn't I didn't know what you know um, that you that what your work was um, in in the past and uh, that's really interesting um, and so thank you for coming on and sharing that and then um, I guess that's it I mean I'm gonna do you have anything else you, you'd like to add because then I if, if not know, I just, yeah you know what I think is an interesting um, effect of this podcast is being a guest on it I feel like I just like got a therapy session well that's thank you that's great i so i've said this on every episode so far but you know the one the great thing for me is this is a nice way to talk to people uh-huh. because we're not allowed to like be in the same room with people uh for right. health reasons you know i mean it's hard right. to like sit down with someone that you we used to get a cup of coffee with or a beer with or something yeah um and it's hard to make time to do it when you have a job and kids yeah. or in your case i mean you have three kids I can't imagine that and you're also very involved in all these other things which we've only touched on a little bit maybe in the bonus there's a couple of other things you're involved with I'd like to ask you about um so but I'll just say this I mean I wanted to talk to you because I am just fascinated like I think this is this people like you um this is what I want to kind of get out there in a medium uh, like this for people to sort of, and I think it's happening more and more now, but again, on Twitter and stuff, it's like shorthand. It's not a conversation. Right. It's like, you know, you're doing, you've done extreme. I mean, your life is extremely interesting. Things you have to say are extremely interesting. You're thoughtful, well-informed, you're an activist. Um, and I just, I have a lot of respect. I mean, the, the moment you came to my door knocking and asking, you know, about Bernie talking about Bernie Sanders uh you know you know I live next door and you had children and all this you know I just um I think that's a great thing and I think it's happening more that people are starting to get involved in these different ways and I I just have immense respect for 
for you and for everybody else who who is um who is just involved in making other people's lives you know uh better and you know in a way that you're not compensated for you're just doing it because you want a better society yeah. want things to be better right yeah thank you yeah sorry not like i've i've it's only been me talking for the past like 30 <laughs> minutes so i'll just shut up now uh thanks again for being on um if you wouldn't mind staying on a little bit after this we can do an extra little bit and just chat yeah. about whatever's on our minds for the time you have left uh for everybody else thanks for listening um again if uh if you like the podcast please share it um subscribe rate review all of that stuff um and if you have any ideas or would like to be on and have a conversation um you can contact me by sending me an email to hanging question marks at gmail.com uh and there are probably other ways you can figure out to contact me but uh there's now a facebook page uh for the podcast you can probably search for and find that so um that's it for this episode uh thank you for listening and courtney thank you again so much for being on Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And we've come full circle. Okay. uh, Thanks. And uh, hopefully have another podcast for everyone next week. Have a good one.